0: Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. In the Gospel of Mark's account of Jesus' resurrection, a young man at the empty tomb tells women bringing spices to the tomb that Jesus has risen and is not there. He tells the women to tell Jesus' disciples that he will meet them in Galilee, the women flee the tomb, trembling and astonished. They're afraid. The most ancient manuscripts end Mark's Gospel there at verse 8. In the longer ending, verses 9 to 19, Jesus appears again to Mary Magdalene, commissioning her to go and tell the disciples. He then appears to two other disciples on the road out to the countryside, and they go and they tell the 11 who do not believe them. Finally he meets up with the 11 disciples themselves, challenging them regarding their unbelief, but then also commissioning them, sending them out to continue his movement throughout the world. In um, chapter 15, just prior to this, you know we have the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus. and you know it's it's a gruesome scene. It is presented in great detail in Mark's gospel. And so that's the immediate uh, context of the scriptures that we're going to read now, Mark 16, 1 to 5. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, And remember, these two were mentioned just prior to this as having witnessed Jesus's crucifixion. And so they were clearly, they must have been traumatized by what they'd seen these were people who had traveled with Jesus in Galilee and had ministered to him, and that's mentioned specifically at the end of chapter 15. So they bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. So what happens in these verses? Well, these two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary, they come early in the morning on the first day of the week to anoint Jesus's body. And they're concerned because they know there's a huge stone at the entrance of the tomb. And they're wondering how in the world are they going to roll that away? But they find that that extremely large stone has been rolled away, and then when they enter the tomb, they encounter this young man dressed in white, and they're amazed, and uh, and this word amazement or amazed needs to be unpacked a little bit. It's actually a rare word, ekthambeo, which means to throw into amazement or terror, to alarm thoroughly, and even to terrify, and um, and it's also only occurs two other times in Mark's Gospel. And in one of those accounts, it's paired with, you know, with, you know, with distress. So it really comes across as meaning that, you know, um, alarmed thoroughly or distressed. And, um, and so really these women are, are very disturbed because they find this man who's there in this empty tomb, you know, a young man. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. Okay, so they say, this man says to them, don't be, um, you know, be amazed in this way. You know, don't be thrown into a state of terror or alarmed thoroughly. Okay. And, And so they're addressing these women's anxiety, aren't they? I mean, they're really saying, don't be traumatized. And then they go straight into uh, a clear description of who who these women are looking for. So it's it's clear to us as readers that this is uh, Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified, he states. But now they go on to state, this man goes on to state, he is risen. He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But you guys, you ladies, go tell his disciples and Peter He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So here, this messenger, um, maybe an angel, but just described as a young man, tells these women something very, very clear. And and they refer back to something that Jesus had taught them. You know, he will meet you in Galilee and you'll see him there just as he told you. So I wonder why did the young man tell them, "Don't be terrified," you know, "Don't, don't, don't be ekthambeod," you know, "Struck with amazement, astounded, um, alarmed, thoroughly," you know, "Don't." Seems quite normal that they would be, doesn't it? And I think here, um, you know, we're we're really given a clue by what happens next. Okay, because the, the next scene. Um, verse 8, it says, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So what do the women do? Well, there's four things that they do. They went out of the tomb and they fled. Okay. For trembling and astonishment had gripped them. Okay. So perhaps uh, because they maybe didn't Really deal with this deeper trauma and this anxiety that they had. Now they're in a reactive mode, right? And um, and so they're they're fleeing a situation. They're trying to escape a situation of great distress. And the first way they do it is by going out. And then the second way is by fleeing, which, by the way, in Mark's gospel is almost always presented negatively. And then they're described as trembling, which can mean like quaking with fear, and. Um, and then this word astonishment, ecstasy, which actually can mean um, being disassociated. So um, they go into a state of disassociation possibly when you know when they when it comes you know into their consciousness where they're where they're face to face with this reality that wow Jesus' body isn't there and and this news that he's resurrected and he's going to go ahead of them and they're supposed to meet him in Galilee you know, when that news sinks in, um, you know, they, they run for it. So that word ecstasis only occurs in Mark's gospel in, uh, elsewhere in, in chapter five, verse 42. That's when Jesus raises his, raises Jairus' 12 year old daughter from the dead. And the disciples and his parents are, you know, are amazed. And it occurs elsewhere in response to different miracles that Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus practices in, especially in Luke chapter 5, 26, but interestingly, it also is a word that is used for trance, you know, falling into a trance, like when Peter goes into a trance when he's uh, on his housetop, and he has the vision of the unclean animals that are coming down on a sheet, and the voice says, eat, and several other occurrences, so Acts 10, 10, Acts 11, 5, and 22, 17. So, um, So literally in the Greek, or a good English translation of the Greek would be trembling and astonishment had them, or um, I like the term grip them. And that's really the idea. So do you know people or do you yourself ever respond to challenges by escaping or disassociating? And I wonder how common you find this to be for yourself you know, so many of the people that we serve and myself included, um, as, you know, I think that when we are deeply troubled, our tendency is to want to escape. It's not to face, you know, kind of what we're dealing with there at the moment, you know, the trouble, you know, we, we try to escape, we escape, um, you know, through getting, going and entertaining ourselves in some way, you know, through watching a, mil- a film or, or exercising or, or maybe eating a good meal, or listening to music, and these aren't bad things. But if we're if we're trying to escape a trouble that maybe we need to face squarely, you know, we need to face um, an anxiety, or in this case, some really good news that is challenging news that needs to be digested. You know, I think our tendency often is to is to run for it, like these women. These four actions: they went out, they fled trembling with astonishment, um, you know, being gripped by, by trembling and astonishment. And a lot of people that we serve, they, they would seek to just, you know, to escape their troubles through substances, you know, through, you know, through weed, through alcohol, um, or more often now uh, on the streets of Mount Vernon, Skagit Valley, fentanyl, you know, smoking fentanyl or fairly recently, you know, shooting up heroin or smoking heroin. And of course, methamphetamines. So drugs, alcohol are ways that we escape so that we don't have to deal with our pain and deal with the troubles. And um, and so is that what's happening here? Are these, are these women running for it? I mean, they're effectively muted because they don't tell, they say nothing to anyone. Um, they don't do what the young man had told them to do, which was to go uh, and tell Peter and the other disciples that Jesus was going to go ahead of them to Galilee. Instead, they're full of fear. Now, interestingly, um, this term fear, in um, you know, it means to be afraid, but it can also mean, um, it can refer to sort of like a reverence. It can mean to uh, venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. So, um, Daniel Bourget. Uh, Our professor from France, he comments on this. He says, uh, they said nothing to anyone because they were gripped by holy fear. To translate this final verse in this way is altogether within the logic of this gospel, directed as it is towards contemplation. This all leads to the thought that the women found themselves before such a mystery that it overturned the fear that caused them to flee, turning it into the awe that reduced them to silence. I really like that that um, that notion that that these women were just placed in a contemplative space, where um, you know where they were maybe digesting what had happened and the reality that Jesus was no longer dead but alive and he was going to meet he was going ahead of them uh, to meet all of them um, up in Galilee and and but with this original ending of the Gospel of Mark highlighting the trembling and the awestruck women witnesses. How could you imagine the Jesus movement advancing? You know, I've been asking this question in several Bible studies recently, and, and I've, I've heard some really interesting responses. You know, one person said, well, I think it would cause me to, to really think, well, what am I going to do, you know, with this news? You know, am I going to be silent? Am I going to um, let it, am I going to be demobilized by my own fear of what it would look like to actually meet up with the resurrected Jesus? You know, back at the starting point of of his calling of the of the of the disciples, the fishermen, and up in Galilee, and and his original you know missional movement there. You know, um, I think that that's a really that's that would be a really powerful way to be you know to be challenged by this ending. Um, I think one thing that we we want to really take into account is is um, how we ourselves. You know, run from you know from the challenge, I guess, and how actually this um, this message is meant to mobilize us to actually do what this messenger, you know, told the women to do, you know, to share the good news with you know with other disciples, and then to go and to and to be prepared to meet up with the resurrected Jesus on on the other side of his death, you know. Um, which is actually what ends up happening in the the longer ending. So let's look now at the longer ending, beginning at verses 9 to 11. Now, after he'd risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Wow. Now, that's really interesting. They refused to believe it. So, to whom does Jesus appear, and how did they respond? Well, interestingly, first of all, I mean, he, you know, we have this um, this young man, right, who is a, some, some kind of witness, because there he is, he's in the empty tomb. You know, was he the one who rolled away the stone? You know, um, we don't know that he was a direct witness, but you know, that's, that's someone who responded by, by staying right there at the site and being a messenger. Okay. Um, secondly, he appears to these two Marys and, um, you know, who we've just seen, uh, the way they responded, right. They, um, they were, um, you know, they were full of, uh, they were awestruck, you know, by, you know, by a negative sort of fear, I guess. And, um, you know, and trembling, and um, you know, and they flee, right? And and they have fear, and they don't tell anyone anything. And then, um, and then, lastly, here, Mary Magdalene, and we're given this detail about how seven demons have been cast out of her. Interestingly, one thing we can say is that um, Jesus clearly had no problem calling women to be his messengers of uh, regarding a message that was probably the most important message that had ever that ever needed to be communicated in, in all of history you know that Jesus had conquered death and so it, apparently Jesus had no problem with sending women to be his um, his ministers and his messengers um, of essential messages and even um, women who in this case were prone to disassociation and you know, and were terrified and were actually silent and didn't do what they were called to do at that moment. And then a woman who had a, clearly a really difficult past, who'd had seven demons uh, cast out of her, right? So, um, do you have any personal experience with demons or know anyone that does? How would people view someone who had come from such a background as Mary's, you know, seven demons having been cast out? Do you think that would be a reputable witness? Um, You know, in the first case, it was actually two women, so that would have been more credible than just one. And now it's uh, one of those two, you know, who's maybe the least, uh, you know, the least credible, at least according to the information we're given. And um, let's read on to the next verses, 12 and 13. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. And they went and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. So in this case, uh, Jesus appears to two people who are walking. And it says that uh, Jesus's name actually isn't even mentioned here. It just says he appeared in a different form. And we don't know what that form was. But um, if we look at the Luke Luke account of the road to Emmaus, um, we know that the disciples didn't recognize uh, the resurrected Jesus when he walked along beside them on the road to Emmaus, right? And um, I just think um, it's really, really interesting to me that um, you know these these actually there's there's three different moments, right? First, um, you know this young man who speaks to the two, then Jesus himself who meets Mary Magdalene and now Jesus himself who meets two unnamed disciples. And in every occurrence, the message is not received by those who are supposed to believe. And so let's see how Jesus deals with that in verse 14. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they would not believed those who had seen him after he'd risen. So what did Jesus do? Hear to, and say to the eleven disciples, and what does that tell us about Jesus? Well, Jesus appeared to the eleven while they were having a meal. And he got down on them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Um, and why? Well, because they hadn't believed these witnesses that Jesus had chose. You know, first, uh, you know, Mary Magdalene, who went and, uh, and, and shared with, that she met up with Jesus. And then the other two that were on, on the road out to the countryside. So Jesus expects disciples then, and I think now, to believe um, other disciples who are sent to, um, to be messengers. And, and so um, that shows that Jesus really counts on fellow humans, you know, his followers, to actually carry on his movement. And he takes uh, us very seriously. Uh, both as uh, messengers, but also as those who receive from other messengers. So the term reproach, one dizo, is a me- word that means to insult, to reproach someone with the implication of that individual being evidently to blame. So a really good synonym for this is to reprimand. Okay, so this is a strong thing that Jesus is doing. He's reprimanding them for not believing um the human messengers who, um, you know, who came in place of Jesus. And now Jesus himself is there um, meeting with them directly. Unbelief, apistia. This is mentioned often in the Gospels. You know, Jesus reproaches them for their unbelief. It kept Jesus from doing many miracles in his hometown, according to Matthew thirteen fifty eight. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus wondered at people's unbelief. Mark 6, 6 which was confessed by the father of a demonized boy you know I believe help my unbelief in Mark 9:24. Paul says that God's people were broken off due to their unbelief. so it's a serious matter. that's Romans 11:20, but that they can be grafted back in if they do not remain in unbelief Romans 11:23 An unbelieving heart causes someone to fall away from the living God according to Hebrews 3:12 and to not enter God's rest, according to Hebrews 3.19. Hardness of heart, sclerocardia, means pertaining to being obdurate and obstinate, stubborn, completely unyielding. And this same term appears in the Greek Old Testament in texts about Israel being stiff-necked and consequently not entering the promised land. But that God saved them all the same, right? Even though they were stiff-necked people, according to Deuteronomy. 9, verse 6, and 13. So, um, once again, why was Jesus especially upset with the 11? Because they had not believed those who had seen Jesus. And, um, you know, and those that went actually were, were going against, you know, this, I guess, maybe this, this natural tendency to want to escape um, stepping into that vocation, like these First two women witnesses, we saw that they kind of they kind of disassociated. I mean, they freaked out and they refused to go. They they told nobody anything about what you know what they encountered there at the tomb. So, um, do you have any personal? Exp- let's see. Let's let's look at the next verses and see where this goes. Um, actually, I want to focus a little bit on believing um, this term, this verb, pisteuo. It's especially important in Mark's gospel. And um, Jesus tells his disciples in right at the beginning, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus tells the synagogue official whose daughter has just died, do not be afraid any longer, only believe which would have been quite difficult, wouldn't it? That's Mark five thirty-six. I mean, m- news has just come that his 12-year-old daughter has died and don't trouble the teacher anymore. And Jesus overhears and says, Look, don't be afraid, only believe. And um, and the man with the demonized boy also says all things. He says to that man, All things are possible to the one who believes. Mark 9, 30, 23 he also says truly i say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says is going to happen it will be granted him and uh, we saw that a couple of weeks ago in a podcast mark 11:23 and then finally mark 11:24 all things for which you pray and ask believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you do you see unbelief and hardness of heart in followers of Jesus today? Or perhaps in yourself? Um, I wonder, you know, how much we, you know, we really take stock of that in ourselves. And uh, and how much we're regularly confessing that unbelief. You know, um, Jesus himself takes unbelief very seriously and, and really calls us to to believe, to actually be active um, in our believing and our choosing to trust in His Word and in His actions that are given to us um, by human beings who have written these Gospel accounts. Um, Mark 16, 15, and He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. And um, I think that's absolutely amazing that despite the disciples' unbelief, you know Jesus that doesn't disqualify these disciples, and um, but rather Jesus uh, moves proactively and um, consistently, you know, believing in them, showing his faith in them, and that he never gives up, um, and you know he commissions them. You know, to go um, and to do something huge, which you'd think um, people that have just been reproached for unbelieving hardness of heart, you know, would, you know, wouldn't be entrusted with such a huge mission to preach the gospel to all of creation. You know, right um, before that, though, I think we need to look or after this, we need to look really closely at, um, you know, it's just how seriously Jesus does. Consider belief and unbelief. And here we're given some of Jesus' strongest words. Um, Mark 16, 16. The one who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but the one who has disbelieved shall be condemned. I mean, that's a difficult text right there. That's that's really uh, stating something that I find disturbing. You know, the one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Um, so apparently believing in Jesus and being baptized brings salvation. And um, notice it doesn't say who will be condemned or who will um, you know, condemn the unbelieving. It doesn't say that I will condemn the ones who don't believe. Um, that being Jesus, or or the Father, or the Holy Spirit, it just says they will be condemned. And um, but anyway, I just find that to be a warning to all of us, and um, you know that that really our our unbelief is grave, and um, and it is demobilizing, and um, and rather we're we're, we're called to step out in faith in a radical way, and um, and the benefits of that are huge. And they're given to us in the next verses, verse 17 and 18. These signs will accompany those who have believed. So, um, I believe that Greek um, tense right there is one that means a continuous believing. So these signs will accompany those who have believed and keep believing. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So, um, so Jesus here really um, affirms these disciples in in a, you know, with some promises that are that are huge, and that really include them in his largest mission. And um, I just find that to be just incredibly hopeful. These signs will accompany, comes from two words: signs, semeon, and accompany. Parakalutheo, which means to follow after, um, so as to follow one um, who's always at his side. So to be always present, to attend one wherever he goes. That's para. Kolutheo, right? So these signs um, will accompany, uh, will be present all the time those who are believing, who have believed and keep believing. Jesus often criticized the people for always asking for a sign. You know, we see that in Matthew 12, 38, Mark 8, 11, John 4, 48. He also warned of those who would come with false signs and wonders that would be used to lead people astray. And there's numerous texts about that. Yet the disciples asked Jesus what signs to look for before his coming. And he answered them in detail in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. Jesus also performed many signs that caused people to believe in him. And there's many scriptures that attest to that. So signs will accompany those who have believed. Um, That means those who who continue to believe and who act in the name of Jesus. So what signs are mentioned here specifically? First one is casting out demons, and that's no surprise. Mark highlights that. And it's the first miracle that Jesus accomplishes in a synagogue in Capernaum. He casts out an unclean spirit from someone who's demonized in the synagogue. And it's his last miracle, um, public miracle, when he casts out the the evil spirit from the demonized boy. and um, And then throughout, Jesus is commissioning his disciples to do that. So so no surprise. So second one, speaking with new tongues. This is the first time this is mentioned in Mark's gospel. And picking up snakes um, is also um, not mentioned anywhere else in Mark's gospel or, or anywhere else in in the Bible that I know of, um, apart from Paul when he's on one of his missions. He, you know, a snake fixes itself onto Paul's arm or his hand when he's when he's sitting by a fire after he's shipwrecked, and uh, it's a poisonous viper, and the locals see that he just shakes it into the fire, and then doesn't die, and that that shocks them and causes them to see him to be like a god. Um, Drinking deadly poison also isn't mentioned anywhere else. So, wow, uh, picking up snakes, drinking deadly poison. Um, We know that poison, people are often poisoned in lots of countries, even now. that's a practice that is that is used, and um, and it's used as a way to persecute Christians in some um, Muslim majority places where you know where there's there's a lot of hostility towards you know towards Christian uh, Muslims being converted um, and becoming Christians, and you know I know of people who have drunk deadly poison they were where they were poisoned uh, because they were going to the home of their fiance who had been Muslim, but had converted to to becoming Christian. And they were poisoned, and and they didn't die, and they didn't even react to it, and that caused the family to be converted. I've heard many stories of that, uh, people in Mozambique, actually. And then the final one, laying hands on the sick for healing. And that's something that we see, um, you know, elsewhere in, in the New Testament. So, um... Speaking with new tongues is not mentioned until Pentecost, Acts 2, and it's referenced as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 10 and 14, 2 to 19, right? So here, this suggests that this text was a a later edition, which, uh, I mean, that's no surprise. That's what modern scholarship has determined and with, you know, with lots of proofs. but that doesn't make it any less of, uh, of an appropriate ending for Mark, because all of these Gospels were written, you know, long after Jesus' uh, death, resurrection, and ascension. While this is the only reference to picking up snakes, Jesus' disciples are described as treading on snakes and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. That's something Jesus tells them in Luke ten nineteen, And, um... Jesus himself lays hands on the sick and he heals them throughout the Gospels. And he commissions his disciples to heal the sick throughout the Gospels. Um, and healing also is, is mentioned as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians twelve nine. So do you need um, these kinds of signs in your own life? Do you see a need for these kinds of signs in your ministry or just in the ministry of the church today? You know, I I certainly see a need for people to, you know, to I guess witness God's um, supernatural engagement in in their lives, and I need it for myself, and so I find this um, final ending of Mark encouraging because it's it's something Jesus, you know, Jesus actually promises, and he offers his disciples after this. Um, you know these 15 chapters where he's modeled it himself in you know, in the Gospel of Mark. And so um, and so I I want to lean into this text and and hope to experience its reality in my own in my own life. Uh, let's end with Mark 16 verse 19. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. So, where did Jesus and the disciples go after this? Well, Jesus was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So, now the disciples there left here on the earth. Here we are. And what did they do? Well, in this case, they didn't flee. Um, like the first witnesses, right of um, or, or of the messengers' message at the tomb there, you know the two women here. The disciples, uh, they went out and they preached everywhere, and um, and it says the Lord worked with them, and so the resurrected Jesus, in some form, but not mentioned here as Jesus, but as the Lord, which is the divine name, the Greek equivalent of the divine name, you know, kurios, which is the Greek equivalent to Yahweh in the Old Testament. Um, and of course, Jesus is Lord, is one of the f- early confessions of Jesus's divinity. So the Lord worked with them, confirming the word, uh, that is their message, uh, their of their preaching, with the signs. And um, isn't that beautiful? Just, uh, you know, the, the, that attestation, you know, an ancient attestation of, you know, of God working together with uh, Jesus' followers who are, who are actively expanding the movement of the kingdom of God um, in alignment with everything that Jesus had commissioned them to do. Um, here God is confirming, you know, their our proclamation, you know, through these miraculous signs. So let's close with prayer. God, thank you for this amazing uh, ending of Mark, these two endings. You know, thank you for um you know the awe that um that we're left with right there at the end of you know Mark sixteen verse eight, you know, where um you know the woman the women there are are in a place of silence and contemplation and we're all left in that place of wondering what are we gonna do, you know, with this message. And um thank you, Jesus, for um, you know, for your persistence that you Go after Mary Magdalene a second time and um, meet her, you know, personally and send her and she goes, you know, and thank you for that act of obedience. And and thank you that even though the disciples uh, twice didn't believe uh, the messengers, they didn't believe Mary Magdalene, they didn't believe the two, that you didn't give up on them, but you came to them yourself and um, that you and you reproached them, you know, you reprimanded them because you want. Them to believe, you know your witnesses. Um, you want people to believe us as your witnesses. Thank you that you stand behind us, and um, and that you believe in us as your disciples, and help us to to take that into our hearts and to believe um, in ourselves in the way that you believe in us. To the extent that we will go out and we will proclaim the good news, the gospel to all of creation. And um, thank you, Lord, that um, you promise that those who believe will do the the works that you did. And in John's gospel, you say, in greater works um, you will do, because I'm going to the Father. And I pray that you would increase our faith, and, um, and that you would help us to be people who confess our unbelief, but who really say, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then, uh, Lord, thank you that you offer to help us, and we ask for your help now. Just uh, help our unbelief, increase our faith, help us to be able to experience you confirming our words with the signs that follow. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.